I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. At the beginning of 2024, we're in this short series on Christian disciplines. Disciplines, the word disciplines is one of those words that as soon as you say it, it conjures up images in our minds, and it can bring some really varied responses. Some, some thrive on discipline. How many of you in this room absolutely thrive on discipline? None of you wants to admit it. Some of you do, though. You have to have your list. You have to have your routine. You have to have your discipline. Me, on the other hand, I have no discipline whatsoever, and I like it that way. <laughs> but life is an exercise of disciplines, isn't it? It's an exercise of disciplines. And we use the term, and, and I actually went to Webster, because Webster is, you know, he, he, he knows it all, right? I went to Webster to, to get the definition for the term discipline this week, and it describes a pattern of behavior and thinking. A pattern of behavior and thinking. When we speak specifically about Christian disciplines, it should imply that these patterns of behavior and thinking are shaped by Christ, by His work in our lives. And often, when we come to the subject of Christian disciplines, we take it with this notion, this is what I got to do, I got to make this happen, and we often get frustrated. How many of you are already frustrated with your plans to read your Bible more in 2024? How many of you are already frustrated with your plans to pray more? Part of it is, is because we look at these disciplines like, I've got to make it happen. Have you figured out you can't make it happen? Let's understand, these are not a list of must-dos to be a Christian, or that if you do them better than somebody else, you're a better Christian than somebody else. No, what these are, these are the result of Christ radically, one, transforming our hearts, and then at work in our lives. So in other words, the more that Christ is changing me, the more that I hunger for His Word, the more that I want to talk to Him in prayer, and the discipline that we're going to talk about today, the more I want to be a good steward with what He's given me. Now, I can say this to a man, it's not our desire to beat you over the head with these disciplines. I've sat under the first two messages, and both messages I left with sore toes. That's what good preaching will do. <laughs> That's what the Word of God will do. It will leave us coming up short. But it's not our desire to make you hurt as much as it is to encourage you and to grow, to encourage you in sanctification, to encourage you in this, that even though they are disciplines and it's got to be Christ who does them through us, we can get lazy. Anybody willing to admit that we can get lazy? Not only can we get lazy, we can get forgetful. And we need help. And so, talking about the discipline of stewardship, I'm really grateful that I mentioned the subject and none of you have run out yet. 
Because usually it is, it is preached in the context of, you guys aren't giving enough money. I hope you don't hear that this morning. This is not a plea to fill the offering boxes that are on the walls of the hallway behind the auditorium. I will be honest with you, though. Our text of Scripture mentions money. It revolves around money, but there's so much more there. Money is just one aspect of our stewardship. It's just one aspect of our stewardship. And let's understand something. The Scripture is very clear that what you and I have, anything that we have, time, abilities, talents, money, your children, your house, your car, all of that came to you first through the hands of God. He gave you everything that you have. And so we have to understand that he's the owner of it all. And when I think of this, I think of 1 Chronicles 29 and King David at the end of his ministry as he's praying and dedicating all the stuff Imagine this, it, it, he's got this giant lumber yard and this giant masonry yard out in front of him, and it's right next to where the temple is supposed to be built. David is there, and as I picture this, he has the blueprints in his hand, he has amassed all the gold, he's amassed all the timber, he's amassed all the stones, he's got everything that Solomon is going to need, and he's about to hand over the blueprints and all the materials to his son Solomon, and before he does, he prays, and he, he prays the, and dedicates all this stuff that has been amassed, and he says this, all that is in heaven and on earth is yours, God. Riches and honor come from you. And he's reminding his son Solomon as he's about to hand him the keys to a pretty powerful thing. Dude, this didn't come from you. It didn't even come from me. It comes from God. Paul in Romans eleven thirty six 36 says this, for from him and through him and back to him are all things. And so as we think about stewardship, if you're the kind that likes to take notes, this is what I want you to write down. What is biblical stewardship? It is it's a discipline of how I manage or utilize, or to use a really good business term that's a buzzword today, how I leverage what God has given to me. Stewardship is nothing more than taking what God has given to you and using it. For the sake of organizing our thoughts this morning, let's organize our thoughts around three broad categories of what God gives us. God gives us time, right? Does God know the amount of time that He's given us? Absolutely. God gives us time. And we often don't think of that as something that God gives to us, but, but whatever breath that we have comes first from the hand of God, does it not? He gives us our time. Secondly, He gives us, I'm going to use this broad category, talent. Every one of us in this room has certain abilities, we have certain traits that God has hardwired into us. That's why Paul Grice is up here leading singing every Sunday. Oops, <laughs> oops, no. That's why we have people like Pastor Andy and Kaylee and Dave and others who are up here leading us singing because they've been given that talent by God. And then think about this third broad heading, treasure. 
Treasure. The things that you own. When you open your drawers, the things that are in there, when you open the, the doors of your house, the things that are in there, the things that you drive, the, the, the house that you put it all in. And so with that in mind, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. <clears throat> the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And Father, as we begin to embark, and our time is short, we pray that you would do two things this morning. We just pray with the psalmist in Psalm 119. One, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your law this morning, Father. And two, may the testimonies of your word be our counselors, our teachers this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to begin at the end of this text, and I think it's going to make sense to you. As we consider the subject of stewardship, we have to first consider who the great giver is, and we see that in verse 15. We have to understand who the great giver is. As I mentioned in my introduction, we own nothing. God owns it all. In fact, repeat after me, I own nothing. Isn't that kind of freeing, by the way? Think about it. Hey, God, your car needs a new alternator. Is that true or not? Hey, God, your kids are disobeying. <laughs> we could go really far on that bunny trail. We better not. Let's do that again. I own nothing. It all belongs to God. Do you believe that? Several things as we consider this God that Paul mentions here in verse 15 where he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We don't have a lot of time this morning, so I can't take you to a lot of passages of Scripture, but I want you to think about the God who gives gifts. We know from 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17 that, that it is not a drudgery. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to take the time. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want you to see this this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, as, as Paul is unpacking for Timothy this idea of what true contentment is, he says this. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to what? 
God gives you the things, and he gave you the things that he has given you for you to enjoy them. So if you drive a 1965 Studebaker, enjoy it. If you drive a 2024 Lamborghini, enjoy it. Just don't let Ohio Highway Patrol find you enjoying it. God has given you your children to be enjoyed. Let me say that again for young mothers. God has given you your children to be enjoyed. God has given you your job and your talents to be enjoyed. It, it is for your joy that God has given you what he has given you. It is God's kind intention that you enjoy the things that he has given you. I could say so much more there. But secondly, I want you to see about the giver is that he's a gracious God who has promised to meet your needs. When the disciples came to our Lord in Luke chapter 11 and asked them specifically, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray, the way that he taught them to pray was, was to address God as what? A father. A father. Not only just a father like this stern dad figure, but a gracious heavenly father who, said, who whenever we come and ask for daily bread, how does he respond? He goes on later in that passage, Jesus, to, to kind of expand on that thought. And he says, which one of you, when, you come to your, when your children comes to you and ask for bread, how many of you would give them a stone? Or if they ask for meat, what would you give them, a snake or a scorpion? No. Our God is a gracious Father who has promised to take care of our needs. So he gives us these things for our joy. He promises to take care of our needs. And I want you to see explicitly here in the text that our God is heavily invested in his giving. He's heavily invested. Investment is a big deal, you know. Sometimes we get too invested in certain things, like every year I get too invested in Ohio State football. And usually I get highly disappointed in my investment. But God is heavily invested in what he has given to us. You see it there in verse 15. He has given to us an inexpressible gift. It is, it is a gift that Paul says is beyond describing here. You, you can't put words to this gift. Paul, elsewhere in Romans chapter 8, talking about this same gift, says this, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us all. It is because of this gift that God has given that he is highly invested in us today. Now, we often hear stewardship presented that we should be invested in God, like buy stock in God, it's going up. No, God is heavily invested in you and me. He's so invested that he sent his son, which leads us to my second point. We need to consider the gift. We need to consider this gift that Paul talks about here in verse 15. Do you know apart from God giving this gift, there is no way that you and I can be adequate stewards, managers, investors for him? Apart from God giving us this gift of Christ, there's no way that we can live up to what God has created us to be. 
It's only through Christ's obedience. It's only through his righteousness. It's only through his death and resurrection that we celebrated at the Lord's Supper this morning that you and I have been given the privilege and the ability to manage God's wealth for his glory. If Christ doesn't come and die, then we might as well just be really selfish people and just hoard it all to ourselves and live life for ourselves. Because let's understand, the stewardship that God has given is not just to believers, it's to unbelievers as well. Any person that God has created, did he give them what they have? Your next door neighbor who's a pagan, who doesn't even mention the name God, who hates it when you put out Christmas decorations, you know that guy? Did God give him everything that he has too? He did. Is God going to hold him in account just the way that he holds you and I in account as well? Yes, he is. But the child of God, the one who has, who has appropriated the obedience and righteousness of Christ through faith to his own account, you and I have the ability to be a steward and a manager of God's wealth for his glory. Let that sink in. Because you're the child of God, you have this incredible privilege to handle God's wealth in a way that brings glory to Him. That's grace upon grace. We don't deserve that. And on top of that, not only do we not deserve that privilege, but God says this, I will reward those who are faithful with what I have given them. God himself rewards faithfulness. Because of the shortness of time, I got to like up here, I'm up here mentally subtracting from my notes right now. It's so frustrating. I had a really good long message to preach this morning, by the way. Long. So we have a God who gives, right? He's given us an inexpressible gift. And because of that gift, you and I can be givers. And I want to consider what it means to be a giver. And, and, and there's so much that we could say here. But, but our text, this text really gives us, I think, three really big principles for our giving that I want you to see. I want you to see these three principles here that, that God gives to us explicitly in this text. And for that, we got to go now back to the beginning of the text, right? Okay, so we've seen, we've seen the giver, we've seen the gift, right? What are these principles for giving? Well, the first one we find in verse 6, where it says, the point is this. I love it when God gets so explicit and he says something so direct, like so a dummy like me can understand it. Hey, the point is this. I can relate to that. Anybody else relate to that? Like, pay attention to this. This is important. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Put down for this principle of return. The first principle that God gives to us here is the principle of return. How are you doing on your 401k? Is it doing okay? How did it do during COVID? You know, we, we, we obsess over those kinds of things, some of us do, right? Like, are my investments, are they going to be enough for me? And, and, and we always are worried about return on investment. 
But here we're talking about something farther greater than that. We're talking about the return on, on managing God's wealth and managing God's talent and managing God's time. And here's the thing, what God is saying to us under this principle of return. If you don't want a blessing from God, then invest sparingly. Now, this is the point where a health and wealth preacher might get up here and say, the more you put in that offering box, the more you put in that offering plate, the more God's going to put in your bank account, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's what it is. So when I say blessing, don't equate that to material blessing, because God doesn't. What I'm saying here, though, is this, that if we choose to hold back what really isn't ours to begin with, if we hold it back from God, God says this, then I'm not going to bless you. That word sparingly is an interesting word there. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Think of it this way. How many of you know somebody who's stingy? How many of you are that person that you know? <laughs> That's what he's talking about here. If we're stingy with God, guess what? He's going to be stingy with his blessing to us. When we don't use the God-given gifting that He has given to us, when we don't use our talents that He has given to us, we are literally robbing ourselves and we are robbing those around us. Can you imagine, and we've had to do it before, there were times in our church, just thinking about this, where we didn't have people who had gifts and abilities. Could you imagine this morning coming and you're like, I just really need to hear God's people sing praise and I really need to have my heart encouraged. Do you ever feel that way when you come to church? I do just about every Sunday. I need to hear, I need to hear you sing. That's why I love sitting up front because you guys bless me. But could you imagine one Sunday showing up and Dave's like, I've just totally lost my ability to do music. And so I look at Andy. Andy, what's going on? He's like, my fingers don't know the chords anymore. Ed, can you help us out? No, I can't do it anymore. Singers, can you lead us? I can't do it. When we don't use the gifts and the talents and the money and the time that God has given to us, we're robbing ourselves and we're robbing others as well. And ultimately, we're cheating God. But the converse is also true here. When we do use our time and our talent and our treasure, what does God promise? If you sow bountifully or, or if you sow you know, freely is the idea here, that, that you don't see it as yours and you understand it is God's. And so God, guess what? You've given me this ability to, to do this. I'm going to do it all for your glory and I'm just going to keep doing it till I run out of that ability to do it. Or, or God, you've given me extra money. I'm just going to keep investing it until you say you're done investing because you have no more money. When we do that, what does God do? He gives to us bountifully himself. We see this in Christ. Christ freely laid down his life, did he not? And what does God repay him with? He repays him with the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. If he will do that with his own son, will he not do that with his other children, church? Church, will he do that with us? Yes, he will. So there's a principle of return. Got to move. Secondly, there's a principle of intentionality. Look at the beginning of verse 7. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. There's the principle of intentionality. Before we give, we have some decisions to make. We have some decisions to make. And the biggest decision that we have to make is the decision to put ourselves second and others first. Let's be honest. Everybody look up here. It isn't always convenient to use our time for the Lord, is it? But it's always convenient to use our time for ourselves, Right? It isn't convenient when there are things that I want to set aside some of my wealth and say, you know what, I don't need this right now, but somebody else does. It isn't convenient to always make a meal for somebody who is sick. Paul, why did Tony have to choose this week to be sick? I just can't do it this week. I can't make a meal because I just don't, you know, I, 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 just, I just can't do it. Or I'm not as gifted as a cook as so-and-so. We have to make a decision to put ourselves second and others first. And our natural inclination is to put ourselves first. So how do we fight against this? I'm so glad you asked. Go back one chapter to chapter 8 and verse 5. He's talking about the churches in Macedonia who took an offering to give to the church of Jerusalem. And the, literally the church of Jerusalem, is they, they are dirt poor and they're getting poorer by the minute. And this is what he says about them. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to who? They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You will never, pay attention, you will never see others as more important than yourself if you don't see God as most important. Let me say that again. You will never see others as more important than yourself if you don't see God as most important. But when we see God as most important, when we see our lives as designed to bring honor and glory to Him, then the natural outflow of that is, is we see others as more important than ourselves. We're willing to follow His leading then. We're willing to listen to Him. So we have to consider the principle of return. We have to consider the principle of intentionality. And then, thirdly, there's the principle of hilarious joy. Chapter 9, end of verse 7. We're not to give reluctantly or under compulsion or like someone's twisting our arm. You know, you know the person who shows up and, and does stuff for you, but the whole time they're like, oh, I really need to be doing this. I really, and, and like you feel bad because they served you. That's the kind of person he's talking about here. Not under compulsion, for God loves a hilarious giver. And you're like, my Bible doesn't say that. It says cheerful. The Greek word is literally where we get our word hilarious. You ever heard something so hilarious that it just makes you laugh out loud and you can't stop? It's the word here. That's the word. The idea is this, that there is great joy to be had in giving of ourselves, our time, our talent, and our treasure to others. 
If you don't realize it, we live in an epidemic right now of Christians who are joyless and, and anxious and, and fearful and, and, and constantly afraid of whatever boogeyman is around in whatever corner. Have you noticed that? I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians. You want to know why? It's because... We're not much different than the world. We see ourselves first and we don't see others as more important. And when you're not serving others, when you're not serving God, you are going to be miserable, brother and sister. But serving takes so long. You're seeing it for all the wrong reasons then. You're seeing it for all the wrong reasons. There's the principle of return, there's a principle of intentionality, there's a principle of hilarious joy. But I want you to see this, that because we have a giver, and he's given us this great gift, and he's given us these principles for giving, there is also grace for givers. There's also grace for givers. Look at verses 8 through 10. God is able. When the, when the Bible says God is able, how able is he, church? Like, like completely able? Not like I'm able to sit down and play Mary Had a Little Lamb, which I'm not able to do that, by the way. God is able. God has no deficiency. God has no deficiency in time, talent, or treasure. He gives it all. He has it all. He is able to do what? To make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's what God promises. As you heed the call to be a good manager of what God has given you, here's what God does. So-and-so is down there investing time. Guess what? I'm going to free up a little more time for them. So-and-so is down there giving, giving them their best of their talents. And you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to reward them this way. I'm going to give them this grace. You know what? I'm not going to make their car break down this week because they're too busy serving me in this way, and they don't need to mess with that. They're taking care of them other things for me. Now, over here, this person is very self-oriented. You know what I'm going to do to them? I'm going to do something to grab their attention. He is sovereign over all, isn't he? Here's what God does. He gives us the privilege to manage his resources. He enables this through Christ. And then on top of that, he says this, I will give you grace that is sufficient. Another word for sufficient there is, it brings contentment. You see, there is great contentment in leveraging what God has given you for his glory and his good. There's no contentment in hoarding your wealth to yourself. There's no contentment in keeping all your time to yourself. Think about it. If we orient our lives that we're going to do everything we can to protect our time, to protect our wealth, and to protect all of the benefits and all of the talents that God has given us, we are going to be lonely, miserable people sitting in our mansions with all the time in the world and no one to invest it in. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? Doesn't sound like a lot of fun at all. 
we got to go to the last point. And I want you to see this. There, there, is, there is a result to all of this. Because God is the great giver, and He's given to us Christ, and He's given us these principles, and He gives us grace on top of that. Here's, here's what comes from that. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The first result of living this way is, is it causes gratitude in others. There is nothing better in the world than doing something or, or providing something for somebody, even if it's just taking your time and investing it in somebody and them having a heart of gratitude. Have you ever experienced that? There's nothing more, there's nothing more irritating, too, though, is when you do that and they don't have any gratitude, right? Right? But what Paul here is saying is this, it causes gratitude not just in their hearts, but it's thanksgiving to God. Literally, when we do this, we are, we are setting the table for people to be able to praise our God. It's through our serving of others, our giving to others, it results in this gratefulness to God for His blessing, and we get to be conduits of His grace to others. That is an awesome thing. Secondly, look at verses 13 and 14. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. I just handed a person a meal. No, what you did, if you did it in the name of Jesus, you confessed the gospel. I, I just took 30 minutes to talk to somebody who was discouraged. That's all I did. It wasn't anything. You just confessed the gospel. I dropped a few extra dollars in the offering box out there or in the deacon's fund because I know there's people who are hurting. And it really was nothing. No, you confess the gospel. And what does that do? Look at it. They will glorify God. And then there's this ancillary benefit while they long for you, verse 14, and pray for you. How many of you need prayer? Here's what God says. You need prayer, go out and serve others. Go out and invest what God has given you in others, and, and they will be so thankful to God that they will pray for you. Man, that is grace upon grace upon grace, isn't it? God gets the glory, and then he gives us reward. Man, that's, that's too good to be true, isn't it? That's too good to be true. I read this just this morning. It was like God put this in front of me this morning so I could share it with you. And I love this. Because God will always keep his promise to provide. Is that true, church? Will God always keep his promise to provide? Because God will always keep his promise to provide, I can always respond to God with, here am I in whatever or wherever he asks of me. It's a can't miss. It's a can't miss. So, allow me to be practical at the end of this message. Can I give you three action points? I don't often do this, but I want to give you three action points. 
Number one, as God's steward, it's good to take an inventory of what you've been given, isn't it? Inventory is good. It lets you know what you got, right? And, and, and may I say to you, be honest as you take inventory. Evaluate the wealth of time that you've been given and evaluate the wealth of time that you waste. Evaluate the talent that you've been given and where you use it or not. One of the things that grieves my heart is, is I know there are people in our church who have great talent, but they choose to keep it to themselves and not be a benefit to others. And it doesn't make me upset like, oh, you're, what it really bothers me is, is you're missing the opportunity to receive great blessing. One, when you do that, it should make you thankful for what God has given you. And two, it ought to give you a motivation to use what God has given you. Second action point. Consider the three principles that I gave you and ask yourself pointed questions. Like, number one, what kind of return am I seeking? Am I looking for my reward here on this earth, or am I looking for a heavenly reward? Because there's a different, you'll invest differently, will you not? If you're looking for earthly reward, you'll put all your investments in earthly things, right? But if you're looking for heavenly reward, you'll make your investments differently. Secondly, Consider the second principle. Am I putting others or myself first with my time, my talent, and my treasure? And then thirdly, in regard to hilarious joy, am I joyfully content or am I just generally discontent with everything and everyone around me? And here, let me clue you in on this. If you are generally discontent with everything and everyone around you, you've got a me problem. How do I know this? I, my heart knows it. I've lived it. So evaluate your, your, your assets. Two, consider your, the three principles. And then thirdly, respond to the grace of God. Respond to the grace of God. Here's what he says. You get to manage my wealth so that I'll get glory and I'll give you reward. Let me say that again, because I didn't say anything untrue there, did I? You get to manage my wealth, which I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to get glory in it, and you're going to get reward if you're faithful with it. That's God's grace. Father, forgive us for being so ungrateful for all that you give to us. Forgive us for bemoaning the fact that you've given us talent that we have to use. <laughs> Forgive us for complaining about the time that we don't have. Forgive us for wanting more in our bank account when you've given us and you've promised to give us everything that we need. Make us to be grateful for what you've given to us and Lord, on top of that, make us to be gracious investors. Investors whose greatest joy is to see others pointed to Christ. Make these things to be so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.